This is a download from the Wireless Theatre Company. Peace and War by Barbara Frost with Sandra Vaux as Evelyn, Mark Straker as David and Beth Eyre as young Evelyn. In some ways, I have had an extraordinary life. I can see that now. Especially when we never seem to stop traveling. Now I'm trying to piece that strange life together, make sense of it all. So many letters, photographs, diaries. David's coming over today to help me go through everything. <laughs> it's going to be a daunting task and a nostalgic one as well. You know, Mother, your generation never seems to have thrown anything away. <laughs> There's piles and piles <laughs> of this stuff. Never mind. Let's get going. Now then, what have we here? Oh, oh yes, look, our dear little house in Bedford where we lived when we first came back from South Africa in 1902. Mm. That's my brother Tommy, so smart at his boater, <laughs> and we girls in our enormous hats. <laughs> Mother was a teacher in a mission school. She was an orphan, lived with her rich uncle in Bombay. Mm -hmm. Then Daddy, oh, he was a prosperous German hide merchant at the time, appeared on the scene and carried her off. What happened to your father? Well, you know he left the family in the lurch, but, um, but why? Hmm. It was the war that was to blame, the Boer War. It unsettled the men. Hmm? They weren't able to get back to ordinary life after that. I remember the first time I heard the word war mentioned, and not long after, I remember Daddy coming across the garden in his new uniform, Daddy! Oh, I've never seen you look so handsome. Ah, <laughs> so you like my new uniform. <laughs> I'm rather pleased with it myself. Oh, your buckles are so bright. I can see my face in them. Did you polish them yourself? No, no. My servants do that for me. What does this badge mean? KFS. Kitchener's Fighting Scouts. At your service, madame. <laughs> <laughs> and off to fight for your honour. Now, give your old papa a kiss. Goodbye. Goodbye. And that was the last time he was ever really with us. We saw him in England after we'd come back, but it was only for visits. He didn't live with us again. He was always off somewhere trying to make his fortune, and we were left with terrible money problems. But what happened to all his money? Well, all lost, I believe, somehow. I've searched and searched for some clue. I was the one who had the most contact with him after he left. Well, he was in touch with Tom, of course, about money and business and things. He sent postcards to Beatrice, although he hardly knew her really. And that was one of the sad things. That's why mother loved her so. Mm. But I was the one he wrote to and sent news and photos from all over the world. And I got to see him sometimes. Once in Paris, but that's another story. I still remember the shock 
when we realised for the first time that our lives were about to change. It must have been about 1906. Mother had to go out to Hamburg to teach English. You see, she was a fluent German speaker. And the only way she could earn a living was by teaching. As there were virtually no foreigners living over here, she had to go where she could get a job. Beatrice and I were both at a small boarding school in Brentwood called Montpellier House, where we were quite happy. But I wasn't there for long. One day the principal called me in to say she had a letter from Mother saying that while Beatrice could stay there for the time being, I must leave and go to Germany to help her with some of her teaching. Well, that must have been tough for you. And did you start teaching at 16? Oh, no. My languages weren't good enough. I had to have a good deal of tuition. I didn't know it at the time, but it was just the first of many travels I would be making. In a way, our life in Hamburg was exciting. When I met new people, made new friends, and had my first experience of romance. It was a lovely city and an important port in those days. Steamers came in from New York and other faraway places. There was a lake right in the middle of the city, the Ulster. And when it froze in winter, we skated on it. And it was such fun. What did Lydia say, Fred? She said you go too fast. This is by accident. Ow! Well, yes, I realise that now. Oh, Fritzy, stop slobbering. I'm all right. Just a bit... Oh, dear, my skirt is torn. Mother will not be pleased. Let me see your hand. It is bleeding. I wrap it. No, no, Fred, let go. Let go of my hand. I must go. Mother will be waiting with my tea. Auf Wiedersehen, Lydia. Bye, Fred. Food always seems to be uppermost in my mind these days. The problem is, we really are very poor. Landsbacher's restaurant is just setting up for the evening's diners. The wonderful smells coming from the doorway remind me rather painfully of last night's supper, which consisted of stale Madeira cake and the tail end of a bottle of port Mother had just found in the corner cupboard in our rooms. An economy drive, she'd said. She had just had a pupil cancel a lesson. I hope tonight's meal will be more substantial. Oh, here I am. Oh, Mother, it's so cold. Oh, let me huddle up to the stove. Oh, that's the best thing about Germany. The big hot stoves. Oh, lovely. You'll get chillblains, Evelyn. Oh, I have them already. What does it matter if I get a few more? Oh, what are we having for supper? Well, I have another lesson at six, so we'll eat after. What about going out to the vegetarian restaurant? So inexpensive. I suppose so. May I have some cocoa, please, to keep me going? It's one of Mr Rosen's lessons. Did you hear? I said Mr Rosen's on his way. Don't go. He'll want to see you. Hmm? I've heard her. I'd just rather not. Mr Rosen is Mother's special friend. He is tall, with a lovely moustache and the most expressive dark eyes. He comes for English lessons with Mother regularly. But it seems to me that he takes advantage of his position as a pupil. I don't think they do much grammar. 
so they have a lot of conversation. But it's mostly in German, so I don't understand what they are saying. And they laugh a lot. Oh, by the way, your trunk has arrived. It's in your room. Don't unpack it, though. And there's a letter from Tom. <coughs> Guten Abend, Herr Rosen. Come in. Guten Abend, Frau Gärtner. I hate that special voice he has for Mother. Ah, guten Abend, Fräulein Evelyn. Are you looking forward to the ball? Oh, yes, we are, aren't we, Evelyn? My son Tom has sent us some beautiful silk from Italy. I shall take it to Seatonhouse Brandt to have it made up. It's a wonderful tea rose colour. Will you be going? Ach, yeah. <laughs> I would not want to miss the English society ball. It's the English debating society, actually. We must get on with our lesson. I don't like the way he looks at Mother. She is much older than him for a start. He is really more of an age to be a special friend to me. So much more interesting than Fred Shander, who is mad about me but is just a boy. My age, 18, I believe, but he seems much younger. And besides that, she is married. Well, I believe she is still married, though I don't discuss father with her. It is a subject which she finds particularly painful. Perhaps she likes him because he resembles father. Dark and handsome with that curling moustache. I wonder why Mother said not to unpack. Well, I must just take a peek. Oh, dear. Oh, these won't do, none of them. Nobody in Hamburg wears clothes like this. Oh, I wish we had money. We really can't manage with only Mother's earnings and... Daddy hasn't sent any for ages. Well, thank heaven for dear old Tom sending the silk. At least I will have a nice dress for next Wednesday. He is so sweet to me. Now, what does his latest letter say? My dear mother, I am now in Livorno, in Italy. The firm where I am employed is very old established, with a first-class reputation. It exports all the different products of Europe and is doing a daily expanding trade. Well, this sounds promising, if only he sticks with it. He's always in such a hurry, poor Tom. We've had all these letters about his various jobs over the years, and he's always wanting to move on somewhere else. London, June, 1906. My dear mother, I really hate my job at Butterworth. I have to sharpen Stanley's pencils and fill his fountain pen. London. August, 1906. Hudenbach can't keep me, as he has no vacancy. If I can, I would like to get that job in Dortmund. After I've been there six months, I will get a place in France. London, October, 1906. I am afraid I have lost my job. The boss was satisfied with my industry, but I had not enough experience. He offered me a junior position in some department, but he could not give me more than one pound a week. I am sick of London. I have a mind to sell everything and go to Antwerp to try my luck there. Hamburg, 1907. Bern, June, 1908. Milan, September, 1908. And now, Livorno. Well, let's hope this job turns out satisfactorily. I know Mother worries so much about him. Thank goodness in a week's time, there's the ball. We need something to cheer us up. 
This dance is mine, Evelyn. Look, number two on your card. Oh, hello, Fred. Oh, good. I always love a waltz. Oh, you dance so well. I think I may be a proper dancer one day. When Mother doesn't need me anymore, that is. Oh, uh, that reminds me. I haven't told you, have I? We are moving from Hamburg. We're going to Switzerland. Mother has found me a position at a girls' lycée where I shall be teaching English and improving my German. Oh, but this is not good news. I shall miss you. Will you miss me? Will you write to me? Of course, Fred. I shall send you pretty postcards of Swiss mountains. I can't tell him that I feel nothing for him. But the truth is, there is someone else I shall miss much more. There he is. Dancing past with Mother, of course. Have you heard our news, Mr. Rosen? Yes, your mother told me. This is very sad, but may I visit you there? Oh, yes! Would that be a good idea, do you think? This is our dance again, is it not? Oh, yes, Fred, of course. Do you love me some, Evelyn? I'm fond of you, you silly boy. But I have my own life to lead, which at the moment is helping Mother, as we are on our own and must support ourselves. But where is your father? He is dead? I am sorry. No. No, he's not dead. Poor Fred. He was desolate that night. <laughs> but I couldn't bring myself to tell him the real reason for our move. That Mother couldn't afford to support me without my contributing to our expenses. Mm. The promised checks from Father came even less frequently now that he had moved further afield in his business affairs. Here we are at last, in Switzerland. Oh, the mountains are quite magnificent. But I'm quite nervous. I wonder what life will be like at the Olympique. At the Lycée, a little place called Zug, I did not have a salary, but I did have my keep. And I received German lessons in return for some help with the girls' English and some domestic duties. And at least Mother was nearby, teaching in Zurich. The mornings were good. I spoke English to the young ladies, who were really very sweet. And I received German conversation lessons. And in the evenings, there were dancing lessons, which I participated in with great delight. <laughs> but the afternoons, oh, how I came to dread those afternoons. Fräulein, here is a list of your duties. Fräulein Gärtner, your darning is not so good. You must try harder. Fräulein, this is not the right way to fold the sheets. Fräulein, there's a pile of ironing to be done. The days passed so sluggishly. I still have the pretty little leather diary, which was my sole confidant. I wrote in it feverishly. <laughs> April the 22nd, 1909, Thursday. Got a nice letter from Mr. Rosen. Thanks me for my photo, makes some nice compliments, and is coming to Zurich Whitsuntide. Hopes to thank me personally for it. How I hope I will be able to go for a day or so. May the 4th. Mother enclosed with her letter 
One from Dad at last. His first since he has left the continent. He thinks of going to British Columbia. When will I see him again? May the 23rd, Sunday. Went to Catholic Church for first and I think last time. I long for the occasional treat of spending a weekend with Mother, who was now teaching nearby in Durich. And at last my wish was granted. Whitson had arrived. Mother had booked a few days in Witznau. I was looking forward to seeing her, but I couldn't help being excited about seeing Mr. Rosen again. I had packed my new blouse that Mademoiselle Ritz helped me make. I believe the green suited me and hoped he would think so too. <laughs> Mr. Rosen must be on the train from Hamburg now. I wonder which of us will arrive first. Oh, the scenery in Switzerland is so beautiful, so romantic. Good morning, Evelyn. You are up very early. We hardly had a chance to see one another last night, did we? Oh, mind how you go. Those stones are slippery. Don't fall in. I might have to rescue you. I'm nearly there. Can you hold my hand while I get onto the bank? Yes. There we are. Oh, thank you. We'd better go and have breakfast if we're going to go for a row on the lake. This afternoon, your mother has planned a walk up a mountain. That one, the Rigi. And then we plan to stay on, have supper at the mountain restaurant, and watch the sunset. That sounds wonderful. Oh, oh, it's just heavenly. I've never seen anything so wonderful. Those mountaintops, they are such a heavenly pink. Wordsworth was very moved by it and wrote a beautiful poem. So you like poetry, Evelyn? Yes, of course. And Mother writes beautiful poems. I wish your mother were here with us, but she was so tired after our climb. I think she works too hard. It was the same last week when we walked. But I thought you only arrived yesterday, like me. Oh, I came earlier. I took the fast train from Zurich on Wednesday. <sighs> you are upset. What is it? Well, why did Mother not tell me? Why do you have such beastly secrets from me? Evelyn, Evelyn. When you are older, you will understand these things. You are really only a child. I'm not a child. I am 18. <sighs> you are young for your age. He has apologized, but it will never be the same again. He is only an ordinary man, after all. And now I am back at the lycée. The routine has started again. The best part of last weekend was when Mother told me that next time we meet in Zurich, we would all four be together again, after such a long time. Tom is coming from Livorno, and Beatrice is coming to spend her holidays over here. My little darling is now a big girl of 11. I can hardly believe it. I am counting the days. It's so exciting to see you all again. Oh, you look so grown up now, Evie. Not so grown up that I can't give you a big hug. <laughs> Guess what? We're all going on a steamboat trip on the lake this afternoon.
so glad you like your job in Livorno, Tom. Will you stay there? I don't know yet. They want me to sign a contract for five years, but I'm not keen to tie myself down for that long. I need to keep moving on to where the money's best. <laughs> that sounds a bit like Dad, doesn't it? You smoke too much, you know. Oh, don't be so pie, Evie. Mum's already had a go at me. Anyway, how are you getting on? How long have you been at this lycée place now? Since April. Longer than you've lasted in any of your jobs to date. Ah, yes, but you're probably enjoying it. I'll tell you the best thing about it. I have dancing lessons with a marvellous French dancing master, and he thinks I'm good enough to do it professionally. To teach dancing, say. <laughs> you and your artistic ideas. Uh, no, seriously, Evie, that's great. Tommy! Mother wants to talk to you about something. She's over there, by the railings. Well, little bee, how's school? Oh, and how's dear Miss Bryan? Oh, she's so kind and so clever. She's made me a dressing gown for the winter, and she's shown me how to make a kettle holder. So that's going to be my Christmas present to Mother. By the way, I haven't heard from Daddy for ages. Do mention it when you next write. I'm sure he will if you ask him. Shh, be not so loud. It's just that I get so homesick. Mother's very good. She writes when she can, I know, but she's so busy. We must remember, darling, it's hard for her. So, how's work, Mother, now you're in Zurich? I have a fair number of pupils, fortunately, but I have to keep at it, and I seem to get rather stupidly tired. Here's something to cheer you up and bring you luck. It's a little coral charm I bought for you in Montenero. It's a lovely little hill village, about 40 minutes from Laverno, and the Italians go there when it gets really hot in the city. I went there for the weekend and lodged in a villa where Byron once stayed. Oh, how lovely, darling. I shall treasure it. And I'm so glad the work is at last proving satisfactory. Well, you know me. I shan't stick it if it isn't. So, how much longer did you stay at the Olympique? It sounds as though you had had, had enough. Yes, I had. <laughs> my diaries after my return from Zurich are full of my efforts to escape. I will not accept being made a housemaid. <laughs> it's one of my indignant entries. <laughs> I knew I would have to support myself, so I decided I must leave and advertise for a job. I thought I would try to get one in Paris. However, not everyone was thrilled at these plans. Mother was horrified at the idea and begged me to return to Hamburg. However, I was in deadly earnest and placed an advertisement for my services in Le Figaro. Then, to my complete astonishment, I received a letter from Father, enclosing 500 francs. <laughs> he said he was in the Yellowstone Park, of all places, where he had put all his money into an oil company of which he was the president. <sighs> I was so thrilled to receive it that I swallowed my misgivings and bought my train ticket, hoping that in Paris I would have more luck with my advertisements. Are you going to Paris too, dear? Yes, I am. I am going to look for a position. All alone at your age? I'm 18. Really? You look younger. Well, if you're looking for a job, my dear, I should keep that hat on. Makes you look older. Another tip is keep your money safe. 
These foreign trains are notorious for pickpockets. I have my money in a little purse on a string round my neck. I can feel it when I move. Tuck it in your stays, dear. That's my advice. Where are you staying? In Paris? At the Girls' Friendly Society. Perhaps you haven't come across it? It's an organization that helps protect young women abroad. And what does your mother think about all this gallivanting? Actually, she is not very pleased. I'm afraid I have caused her some anxiety. But I am looking to find an au pair position with a family where I shall be able to improve my French. And then I shall be of more use to her. She's a language teacher, you see. But I'm sure she will understand. Oh. She seems very nice, and I'm sure she will look after me. She looks sleepy. I shall take this opportunity to read my letter from Mr. Rosen. Oh, I have not written to him. And so, to break my silence, he has sent me a gold pin. Oh, dear. Should I send it back? But I don't want to be hurtful, so I shall keep it, reluctantly. Oh, men are so complicated. Miss Gertner, welcome to the Girls' Friendly Society. Is your mother with you? Uh, no. Uh, she'll be coming soon, I am sure. Well, there are several other English girls, as you can see. <laughs> I am sure you'll be happy here with us. Such a comfort to your mother to know you are safe here till she can join you. I don't like to tell her that my mother will not be coming to join me. She has finally written, saying that it is no good her scolding me for what I have already done and calling me a plucky girl. I must prove myself worthy of her trust in me. It is very pleasant staying here, but I am not, I imagine, experiencing la vie parisienne. I have been sightseeing every day with Miss Naish, another young lady with whom I have made friends. We have seen such beautiful sights. Notre Dame and La Sainte-Chapelle, the wonderful opera house. Oh, we have walked our feet off. And every evening when I get back, I check whether I have had an answer to my latest advertisement in Le Figaro. Ah, Miss Gertner, thank goodness you are back. Some people have come in response to your advertisement. They are in my office waiting to talk to you. Bonjour, mademoiselle. Uh, bonjour, madame. This is Madame Renier and her daughter, Miss Gartner. As I understand it, the post is as companion to the daughter, who I am told is about your age, and whose name is Mademoiselle Cecile. Is that correct, madame? Oui. And to teach English to the young sons of the family. Oui, c'est ça. Where... where is the position? Here in Paris? No, Monsieur and Madame Renier live in a small village near Angoulême, many miles to the southwest from here. It's a charming place, it seems. I give lessons to Maurice and to his little brother Jacques during the day. Have my own French lesson with Madame Rainier. My French is improving fast and go for walks. The countryside around here is beautiful. And the Rainier's land, which is vast, has meadows and woodland and a river flowing through it which turns a water mill. They are very kind, but it will soon be my 19th birthday and I feel very alone and homesick for my dear family. November the 30th, 1909. I have a letter from Daddy in New York saying that they will be in Paris in a few weeks' time. He wants me to go there for a few days. But if I go to Paris, 
I must see M. I cannot write her name. And it would be so difficult to see her beside Dad and to live with them for a few days. But I must go, for who knows if I will ever see him again. Besides, I do want to see if he's happy with her. I will not be doing my darling mother wrong, as I will always think of her. Daddy, this is such a lovely room, so luxurious. It is more than a room, it is a suite. Evelyn, may I introduce you to Miss Margot Greenberg? I am so pleased to meet you, Evelyn. Your father has told me so much about you. What a pretty blouse. The green suits you very well. Thank you. Uh, we think you will be comfortable sleeping on the couch in, in here. We have a treat for you. We are taking you to see Sarah Bernhardt in Jan Dark. Your father tells me you're interested in acting and we thought you'd enjoy it. She is so beautifully dressed. But I so long to talk to him alone. He has promised me a drive in the Bois de Bologna, just the two of us. And it will be just like old times. So, Evelyn, how was your shopping trip with Margot? It was... Oh, well, it was very enjoyable, of course. And she bought such beautiful clothes. But it took a long time. I've never been shopping for four hours before. <laughs> so it is nice to sit down and see the sights in comfort. Usually I do my sightseeing on foot. Oh, look, Daddy. Huh? Those people over there under those trees. <laughs> Everyone in Paris is so fashionable. No wonder Margot loves the shop so. Uh, and how did you enjoy the play? Was it more to your taste than the music hall we went to the other night? It was simply wonderful. What a moving story. I was almost in tears. And Sarah Bernhardt is such a genius. Oh, yes. It made me think how much I would love to go on the stage. Though, as a dancer, not an actress, the best treat for me was when we went to see Isadora Duncan. This is exactly the style of dancing I do, you know, Daddy. <laughs> well, darling, if my prospects turn out as I hope, you shall dance till your shoes fall to pieces. <sighs> I shall be able to make you a comfortable regular allowance. Thank you, Daddy. How lovely. And by the way, thank you for the money you sent me at Zug. Ah. That was what helped me get here. Mind you, nothing is certain. Things aren't running quite as smoothly as I would like. Uh. In fact, there are one or two worrying matters I need to resolve as soon as I get back. Don't let's spoil this lovely trip talking about money. <laughs> it's so nice being here with you. Oh, it's nice for me too, being here with my best girl. <laughs> you must have been terribly torn. How did you feel about your father after that? Mm, looking back now, I've realized that he was a philanderer. Mm. This pattern was repeated more than once. You know, I've often wondered, did he pay for the suite or did she? It is Christmas day. I am still in Paris, but they have gone. And I wonder if I will ever see father again. I am back at the girls' friendly society for a very English Christmas. Instead of the glamorous hotel suite, I am now in a small, plain white bed which suits me very well. I'm still shocked at the expense that he spends so much money on a holiday when he is unable to afford enough to keep mother from the work which tires her so. Oh, it is all so difficult. I have received cards from my dear family and some old friends. Even a card from Mr. Rosen. How long ago all that seems. 
I was looking forward to returning to the Red Years. It seemed like home. At that time, I had no home, really, not a place like other girls had. But then, I got a card from them saying that they had gone to do winter sports and that I should stay on in Paris until their return. It gave me the chance to meet up with my friend Gertrude Nash, but little did we know what adventures we would have. What a pity we weren't able to see the comet last night. There were too many buildings in the way, but everyone's talking about it. I know, but it's so cloudy, it's hard to see a thing. I don't think this rain is ever going to stop. Yes, look how high the Seine is. It's almost touching the bridge here. Mm. <laughs> I shall be glad to be back indoors. dinner bell in the middle of the night. Miss Gertner, please, get up. Put on your dressing gown and slippers and come with me. Hurry, please! Uh, what's happening? We have flooded. The ground floor is knee-deep in water and the authorities have advised us to move everyone to the top floor. The river has burst its banks and we are all in danger. You really must come! Oh, thank goodness you are here safe and sound, Gertie. Yeah? Oh, I was terrified. What a thing to happen. We saw that the river was high, didn't we? But we never dreamt this would happen. Well, here we are, stranded up in the attics. Oh, I've never been up here before. But who on earth sleeps in these little beds? These are where the maids sleep. Oh, I see. Oh, but it's more like a dormitory. I thought we were cramped downstairs. Where are the maids now? Well, they'll be downstairs helping Madame rescue some of the furniture. Mm. It's really deep down there. I peeped. I could see the light flickering on the water, and it's creeping up the stairwell. Oh, dear. Oh, I hope we don't get struck by lightning. I'm rather frightened of storms. Do you think we could light another candle? It's all so dark. Oh, what was that? Do you think it is mice? Oh, oh we're not going to get much sightseeing done now. Back with the Rainiers, I discovered from them that the flood was so famous that it has been in all the newspapers. They think it will be remembered for years afterwards. I am relieved to be home safely. But home... Home is where my family is, and that is in all corners of the globe. However, I have received a letter from Father, who is back in New York, and says how much Margot enjoyed meeting me. You obviously had an interesting time while you were with the Rainiers, but how long did you stay there in the end? In fact, I was not there very much longer. Because in July, the family closed the factory and they all went off for a long voyage. I was asked to go as an au pair to a family in Paris Plage. On the coast, we call it Le Touquet these days, oh. where I would look after and teach three small girls. I suppose Mother thought the sea air would be good for me. I'm sure the salary I was to receive had something to do with that. <laughs> and how did that job work out? Oh, let us just say that I was counting the days to the end oh. and my freedom. <laughs> uh, being on the coast, I felt so much nearer England. I almost felt if I strained my eyes, I could see it across the water as <laughs> I sat on the beach with the little girls, feeling bored. But I was just longing for my release. And in 1910, I went back to Hamburg, where I helped mother teach English. 
and also set up my own dance classes, which were a great success. As well as the teaching in Hamburg, there was other teaching, German and French at Montpelier House, during my frequent visits to England to see Beatrice, who was growing up fast. Poor Beatrice. I felt for her because of the three of us, she was the one who I believe suffered most. Through the lack of her mother, of course, and, and, and then she found it hardest to come to terms with our lack of money. Mother's rather high-minded attitude to her teenage needs didn't help. Beatrice was a prolific correspondent. Her letters, which I still have, tell the story of her hopes and disappointments, on the whole, bravely born. December the 7th, 1910. My own darling mother, thank you for the spiffing presents. The silk dress did not arrive till after I had gone to Edna's party, but it did not matter at all. The nature study book is awfully nice. So is the sailor suit. No news from Tom or Dad. I'm really disappointed. May the 24th, 1911. Today is Empire Day and we all sang God Save the King after school and a good many wore red, white and blue. We are preparing for the coronation of the new king, George V. June the 23rd, 1911. My own precious darling, I've just got your sweet little letter, which has filled me with mingled feelings of pleasure and pain. I'm pained at your disappointment at missing the coronation, but... I'm pleased at the manner in which you are bearing it, dear one, and the influence it will have in moulding your character. You are learning lessons every day, dearie, and learning them well, or you would not be top of your form. We've taken a flat and are moving in next week. Evelyn has already earned enough to furnish her own bedroom. Christmas 1911. I send you some goodies to pass away the time in the holidays. I know how you like to nibble when you feel inclined. I hope everything will taste nice. The gloves are good quality and very warm and comfy, so you must not expect a muff. You must wait patiently to hear from Tom. He's very busy. And now Evelyn is in Rome with Dad. Poor little Evie. We must pray for her happiness. May the 23rd, 1912. My own darling mother, thank you very much for your sweet letter and the pretty paper. I was so pleased with it. How ripping for you to see an aeroplane. Yes, I would love a postcard of it, please. Some aeroplanes passed over a village near us and Mademoiselle went over on her bike and saw two. Wasn't she lucky? But as summer 1912 approached, there were indications for those who had eyes to see that there was change abroad in Europe and not just the appearance of those exciting new aeroplanes. May the 24th, 1912. 12 Brandsender. Evelyn saw the Kaiser yesterday. He came to launch the Imperator, the largest steamer in the world, and Evelyn saw him leaving the station on his return to Berlin. She's giving an entertainment in the Curio House and is working very hard for it. There's still heaps to do, and only a week to do it in. Besides, there's some difficulty in getting permission from the authorities to give a display of dancing. And when Evelyn went to interview them the other day, they asked her so many questions, even where and when she was born, that she returned home wishing that she had never been. 
it must have been difficult carrying on your work with, with that degree of harassment. Well, we just had to rise above it. We had to keep on earning. But then we had some very exciting news. Tom had married in America. Oh. He brought Maud over to meet us, of course. She was very glamorous and well off too. Um, when you realised that war with Germany was inevitable, what on earth did you do? Well, first, you have to remember how strong the English influence was in Hamburg in those days and how hospitable the people of Hamburg always were to us. This persisted all throughout these pre-war days. And whilst the war was only between Austria and Serbia, everything went on as normal. Hmm. However, when Russia began to mobilise, there was a great feeling of anxiety and restlessness in the air. As you know, I have never been political, but even I was disturbed. They posted official news notices up on public buildings and at street corners and crowds gathered round to read them. Then when Germany declared war on Russia, things changed. Soldiers appeared in the town, guarding the bridges and official buildings. Shops and houses were empty. The streets were full of people rushing to buy newspapers. Oh, Evelyn, listen. Non-German nationals strongly advised to return to their country of origin for their own safety. We must go home to England straight away. But, Mother, this is our home now. Since we had our own flat, everything has been so... No, no, your mother is right, Evelyn. You must go and inquire at the station for a train immediately. So we embarked on an extraordinary journey. That very night, the 4th of August, the day Germany entered the war, we set off at 11 o'clock. We had spent the day rushing round to the American consulate to inquire about trains, getting passports, saying goodbye to our friends, and hectically packing, trying to compress our lives into three suitcases. That was all we were allowed. Mm. All the rest of our belongings, our treasures, all our books had to be packed in trunks, which friends were to send on to us. Mm. On our way to the station, a train passed, crammed with German conscripts. Such a dreadful sight. These sad young faces with strained eyes leaving their families. They were singing folk songs to keep their spirits up. I've never forgotten those brave voices. People these days forget that for the Germans too, the war was a tragedy. We had close friends, a devoted couple, a sweet English woman married to a German with three little girls and a baby. They hadn't much money and she'd not been well. And her husband had to leave her to fight against her mother country. Imagine their agony. We made our way to Altona station with no problem, thanks to a kind German family who helped with the baggage and spoke to the officials for us. And eventually at 12.30am, our train crowded with English, American, Danish refugees took off. We had taken tickets to Vandrup, a small town just over the border in Denmark. Oh, where are we? Is this Vandrup? Oh, surely not yet. It's only three o'clock. No, this is still Germany. Neumünster. Uh, They're telling all foreigners to get off. 
They're searching the train for bombs. Bombs? Really? Come along, ladies. Let's set you here in the waiting room. This could take some time. Oh, oh Mother. Oh, I'm feeling rather faint. Oh, it's so stuffy in here. Oh, I'm going to open this window to get some air. Ah, the English. English people. Hello, English lady. You are enemy. Come on, France. If we need to round up the rest of them. Mother, I'm so frightened. What will they do to us? No, no don't worry. I'm, I'm sure they won't harm us. Not with all these brave Englishmen to defend us. All foreigners on the train now. We're leaving at 8.30 sharp. Well, listen. It looks as if we'll be able to continue our journey. That stop was just one in a series of nightmares. Mm. They turned us off twice more. And each time we were more terrified than the last. We thought we would never reach the safety of Denmark. At the second stop, just before the border, the command came through that all British male subjects were to be detained as prisoners of war, as they could be of service to Britain. And Germany and Britain were at war. Uh. But at long last, someone persuaded the adjutant to wire to Berlin and word came back that the order was to be countermanded. And then, at long last, after a 24-hour journey, we reached Esbjerg on the coast of Denmark and were taken aboard a Danish steamer. Even then, with a boatload of around 400 English, French, American and Belgian passengers on board, we didn't get off straight away. The crew went on strike, oh. owing to the threat of capture in the North Sea by German ships. But eventually, after a great deal of diplomacy on the part of the captain and the English consul in Esbjerg, we did sail in the evening for Harwich. We steered a somewhat indirect course for fear of capture or mines, mm. but we were no longer afraid by this point. We felt we were in God's hands. We went first slightly northward and then over towards Lowestoft. The voyage took two days. Mm. On the second night, nearly everyone stayed on deck, rolled in blankets, so as to catch their first glimpse of home. At dawn, we passed some fishing smacks with LT painted on their brown sails and saw the lights of Lowestoft and a shadowy coastline appearing in the distance. And so, finally, we were on English soil <laughs> once more. But not for very long. This new war was to change everything. I said that once before, do you remember? About the Boer War. Mm. Well, this was no less devastating. And as a young woman, I was to play my part. It would be a time of further travel, personal danger. I was to prove a turning point in my life. However did you and Grandma settle back in England again? You'd spent so many years abroad. Well, it was hard for Mother to adjust. Though for her, the joy of living with Beatrice again made up for everything. Mm. But I became so busy I didn't have time to brood. There was a kind of war fever in the air. It's hard to describe those days, but everyone was fired up with enthusiasm to do their bit. 
The young men, of course, were all rushing to enlist, and the young women. Nursing, Evelyn. Are you sure, dear? It's such hard work, and you know how delicate you are. Is it really worth putting yourself through all that when they say this war will be over by Christmas? Mother, I must do my bit. Uh. I can't just sit by and let others do all the hard work. Anyway, it's all decided now, and I've enrolled on a Red Cross training course. Uh. As soon as I'm qualified, I shall offer them my services. So I did my training. It was fairly rudimentary, but the war didn't wait for me. Christmas came and went, and with it went all these predictions of an early end. Mm. By the summer of the next year, they were calling out for more nurses to go out to France on what was called Voluntary Aid Detachment, VADs we were known as. And in October 1915, I was called. And I found myself at Charing Cross Station, together with a great number of other excited girls, en route to a field hospital. Though the exact whereabouts were secret then, we knew soon enough that we were bound for Camier in northern France, which was not far from Etaples and close to the British front lines. Now, darling, we must get you a nice corner seat for the journey. Oh, here's one. Now, are you sure we've remembered everything? Mother, don't worry. Everything's in order. Uniform, hat, brassard, all in this bag. Papers all stamped, kit in this enormous one. Oh dear, it's so heavy. Oh, wait, Evie, uh, have you got the potted meat sandwiches B made for you? And your thermos? I have everything. Don't worry, darling, I'll write. Now, do get off the train or you'll have to come too. <laughs> Goodbye, darling. Do take care. Goodbye. We spent our first night in a hotel, travelled all the following day. And it was the next evening before we first caught a glimpse of our new home. <sighs> Honestly, it was an amazing sight. Row upon row of huge tents, more like marquees really, a kind of tent city. <laughs> we were all of us a bit overwhelmed at the realisation that there must be so many casualties. Mm. We were met by one of the professional nursing staff very imposing sister, full regalia, <laughs> which immediately made us VADs feel very amateurish. Good evening, girls. My name is Sister Bradshaw, and you'll answer to me in all things. I'm glad you finally arrived. There's no time to lose. Find your billets, those bell tents over there, two to each tent, and unpack your kit. You, the small dark one there. What's your name? And do you know who you'll be sharing with? Yes, sister. I'm Evelyn Gardner, and this is my friend Olive. We met on the journey over, and we've decided... Good, good. And you others, I assume you've also... Right, then. You'll report back here in uniform tomorrow morning at seven sharp. Well, she's going to be a tartar, Olive, and no mistake. We'd better keep on the right side of her. The thing is, I've heard that the real nurses, the professionals, I mean, don't approve of us VADs. They think we're a bunch of amateurs who have just taken on nursing as a kind of hobby and that we have glorious society lives back home. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth in my case. <sighs> Let's get on with unpacking. Uh, yeah. I'm so dreadfully tired. Hmm. This, I presume, is a camp bed? Just look here, Evelyn. 
However are we going to put it up? Hmm. And what in the world is this funny canvas thing for? Well, it's something that has a stand. Here are the legs. Oh, Olive! It's a camp bath. And a basin too, I think. Oh, what a cunning arrangement. It can double as either. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've never forgotten the strangeness of that night. Unpacking our huge green kit bags and finding all these peculiar appliances we'd never dreamed existed. <laughs> it was all the stranger because we were both so cold and tired and the, the light came from nothing more powerful than a candle stuck in a lantern. <laughs> and at one point we just gave up. It sat on the floor, finished off the last of Beatrice's potted meat sandwiches, which were simply delicious. <laughs> We finally got ourselves into the camp beds, having overlapped the blankets until we'd made ourselves warm tunnels. We snuggled down and tried not to think of home. The next morning, everything seemed rather better. That breakfast was quite delicious. Now then, how do we look, do you think? I wish we had a mirror. Well, you look quite the thing, Evelyn. I'll tie your apron a bit more neatly. Your hat's a bit... Yes, that's better. Now for Sister Bradshaw. Good morning, nurses. I'm going to read you out a list of your duties. The basic ones, that is. Firstly, all beds are to be made. That is 20 in each sector. The men's lockers to be scrubbed, linen cupboard to be tidied, tables laid for lunch. Then after lunch, you'll be helping Sister in every necessary way with dusting in the wall... This sounds a bit like a job I once ran away from in a Swiss finishing school where I was expected to be a dog's body. I thought we were here to nurse injured soldiers. Nurse Gardner, you'll soon learn that I have exceptional hearing. You'll also learn that this list of duties you've just been given in no way comprises the full extent of your work out here. In fact... If it's wounded soldiers you wish for, you need not worry yourself. We are receiving a fresh convoy of the poor souls later this morning. Two more beds here. Two in that tent. Be careful, can't you? Oh, this is hopeless. We need more beds. Look, we'll have to put these ones out here for the moment. Mind that stretcher. Nurse! Nurse! With you in a moment. Gardener, change that man's dressings. It'll be trench foot. Take great care. Thanks, sister. You're an angel. She is not a sister. She is a nurse. I am the sister round here. Oh, what a lot of work. Day after day, week after week. We can't wait to get to bed at night. We're so tired that our camp beds seem as comfy as a feather mattress. It's even harder, as we don't have enough drugs. Painkillers are used for the men's operations only, or enough of the right kind of equipment. We're constantly scrounging and improvising. The most tiresome thing of all is not having any hot water except what we boil ourselves. Sterilizing a syringe by holding it with forceps in a test tube of boiling water is such a performance. I'm sure back home there are better ways of doing this. But you had to look after serious cases too. It must have been harrowing to see badly injured men who you knew wouldn't make a recovery. Oh, 
broke our hearts. Mm. You had to be partners doing what you could for them, at least making sure they were as clean and comfortable as possible. And part older sister trying to raise their spirits and look on the bright side. And for the most part, mother, listening to their sad stories and comforting them. It was worst when you were on night duty, when that cheery optimism they had conjured up during the day simply melted away. Mm, nurse! He's gone, nurse. It's all gone. What am I going to do? How am I going to write home? Every day I've been writing to me mum. She'll think I'm dead. Maybe it would be better if I was. Oh, Georgie, I'm so sorry. I thought the Emma was going to be able to save your hand. Don't worry about the letters, though. I shall write them for you. You can dictate. You must concentrate on getting well enough to travel. Your blighty will be coming along soon, and you will realise how much better it is to be alive and see those loving faces again. Sister. Oh, yes, Jock? What can I do for you? Oh, your pillows are in a mess. Let me change them around for you. And a drink? Here. Is that better? I'll, I'll just adjust the cradle around your foot. Oh. I don't know what it is, sister. I don't, I don't know what I want. I seem to be s slipping away. Sister, could you pass me that box? Yes, that one that says cigarettes on it. Here you are, Billy. Have you had a parcel from home? No, sister. Nobody sends anything now. My mother died last week and, and she was the only one who ever did. Things is bad at home because... Because I've got nine little brothers and sisters. They're all in homes. I help to pay for them. It's lucky for them they've got a big brother to look after them. How old are you, Billy? Nineteen. Nineteen. And you know, Billy, there was I so sure you went a day over sixteen. Well, well. They were really just boys, some of them. And you know, they were so brave. They would joke about everything. Even the most terrible stories are made into jokes. I remember one Tommy hooting with laughter about a rat having broken into his bully beef tin and eaten the contents. And he being fined four and sixpence for lost rations. What? <laughs> but those cheery yarns happened mostly during the day. It was all so different at night. Mm. I bet you were glad to get off night duty. Oh, yes, it really was a strain. Yeah. And keeping warm was really hard. We would huddle round the stoves, toasting our hands and feet, which, of course, made our chillplains worse. Oh. Mind you, we were kept on the go. Even in a relatively quiet night, there were miles to be walked, just doing the half-hourly rounds of the wards, taking temperatures and pulses every four hours. One of the nurses attached a pedometer and found she had walked 16 miles during one night. Oh. We used to carry lanterns and, needless to say, being called the lady with the lamp was a <laughs> joke that wore rather thin in time. <laughs> the beautiful dawns were the consolation prize after those long nights. I couldn't get enough of those lovely rosy skies. I haven't seen one of them in a long time. 
Thank heaven Christmas is coming. I hope that means something to look forward to. Surely the Germans, being good Christians, will observe this sacred holiday and hold their shellfire. Christmas Eve. I love this time. Oh, the last time I heard this, I was at home with all my family. What about you, Evelyn? Oh, uh, yes, well, my family is a little scattered at present, but I do hope we shall be together again one of these days. Mm. I have letters from them, most of them anyway. I'm saving them up to read tomorrow morning. Now, come on, Olive. We must finish these paper chains and get them hung up before bed. Hold the end of this. Oh, I think our little tent looks quite cosy and Christmassy, don't you? Oh, that holly you found in the wood looks splendid. Mm. The cocoa tin is just the perfect vase, and have you seen our ward? Evening, sisters. <laughs> oh, what do you want, Ginger? Who let you out? I just wanted to see if you had any mistletoe in your tent. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Happy Christmas, girls. Don't be late for breakfast. It's extra bacon all round today. And lunch is going to be magnificent, I'm reliably informed. Don't know what it will consist of, the cooks won't say, but I think we shall be spared bully beef today. <sighs> she's very cheerful today. Even allowing for Christmas, she's almost unrecognisable. Yes, she's definitely mellowed. Do you think that means we're off probation? Actually, it's more likely to be that bottle of port her brother sent her. My guess is she's opened it early. <laughs> <laughs> now for the greatest treat of all, Mother and Bee's letters. My darling daughter, I was feeling so anxious about you, dear. And then last night I received with huge relief your letters which must have been held up by the authorities. I am pleased to hear that things are going well and that you've thrown off your nasty cold. I have just seen an account of the air raid over Paris in the Morning Post. It seems the Huns are furious at the splendid achievements of the French airmen. Now, about the boots, darling. Find out which kind is the best and I'll get them for you. Put your foot on a piece of paper and draw a line around so as to have the right measurement. And I'll take it to the bootmaker and order a pair. I've never heard of gum boots. You'll have to explain. Let me know, dear, whether or not you received the new stove. It is tiresome of Harrods to take so long. And now I must take Joffre for his walk on the common. Guess what, Evie? You're not the only one doing your bit. I've joined the Women's Land Army. It's going to be so much fun. Next week, I and some other new recruits are off to a farm in Essex and we'll be working there, helping with the harvest and things like that. Well, not in the middle of winter, obviously. But apparently there's masses of stuff that goes on all the year round for us to do, like milking the cows, and we're going to be paid sixpence an hour. I've had a letter from Tom and Maud. They're still in America and tremendously happy. No news from Dad, though. Worse luck. So that was wartime Christmas. Mm. And I must say, we tried to make some fun in the middle of all the tragedy for these poor boys. We gave them all Christmas stockings with a packet of cigarettes or some sweets in. Yeah. Then in the evening, the men, or all of those who were out of bed, gave us a concert. We were so brave of them. And we reciprocated with recitations and songs. 
Sister Bradshaw turned out to have a magnificent voice. (laughs) (laughs) But all too soon it was back to the grindstone again. Christmas had brought the hospital a bumper delivery of parcels sent by the Red Cross from back home. Warm knitted scarves, bed socks, balaclavas and things like that for the men, which were very welcome. Because soon the cold weather really began to bite. I don't think I shall ever be warm again. Mm. It's the wind that's the worst thing. It seems to be trying to blow up the tent like a balloon. (laughs) And there's no way of keeping it out. Honestly, Olive, I feel like a balloon myself. I've got so many clothes on. You'd think that with two pairs of stockings, our uniforms, thick jerseys on top, coats over that, and our sou'westers, we'd be able to keep warm, wouldn't you? Oh, and I've wound cotton wool around my toes under my boots for good measure. Oh, I know. Undressing again feels like peeling an onion. Maybe we should beg some balaclava helmets from the men as well. By the way, did you know that the M.O. told patients in A-Ward they could wear their clothes in bed? Oh, surely not. However, are we going to be able to keep them clean? I saw the funniest sight yesterday. You know Eddie, the jokey boy by the end of the row? He was lying in bed, holding an umbrella over himself because there's a leak in the tent roof right over his bed. And of course, it was raining cats and dogs. He said he was pretending it was July and he was in a hammock with a sunshade. (laughs) It started to snow after that. And at first, everything was much better. Snow is always so exciting, isn't it? Whatever age you are, (laughs) at least at first. We had invitations to makeshift tobogganing expeditions from some of the convalescent men, mm-hmm. the up patients as we called them, and some impromptu snowball fights which were great fun. <laughs> but the cold deepened and the snow didn't go away. Oh no, you won't believe this Evelyn. It's not only the basin covered in ice, my toothbrush and my toothpaste are frozen stiff. I would believe it. My hot water bottle has turned to ice. Sister Bradshaw has called a crisis meeting this morning when we're all going to be given special instructions. Mm. Now, nurses, you will realise that we are facing an emergency here and I'm calling on you all to meet it with your usual resilience and adaptability. You will know that our thermometers and our medicine bottles are frozen and need to be thawed before they can be used. Gently. We don't want any breakages. Those of you who use fountain pens to record their notes will know that these are now also frozen, so please equip yourselves with pencils. What you may not be aware of is that the kitchen staff are labouring under considerable difficulty since neither milk nor eggs are usable at present and your forbearance is craved. We sadly have no water supply now either, as last night this iced up and failed. Those of you who currently man the mess tent may be interested to know that this means there'll be no washing up done until the thaw arrives. A very unpleasant thing happened to me yesterday. It's something I can't tell anyone about, even Olive. And I don't even want to put it down in my diary. I couldn't possibly worry Mother with it. The only person in the world who would understand is Daddy. And I have no idea where he is. I shall write it down for him, so that as soon as this beastly war is over and I see him or have an address for him, 
and she'll know all about it. Dearest Daddy, I am writing this in my little tent. Nurse Gardener anywhere here? Does anyone know... Oh, yes. Oh, Nurse Gardener, I was looking for you. Colonel Weston wants to see you immediately. Goodness, the Colonel? What can he possibly want with me? Follow me, miss. <sighs> Nurse Gardener for you, Colonel, sir. Ah, Nurse Gardener, yes. I wanted a word with you. It has been brought to my attention that before the war you spent many years in Hamburg. I've also been told that you were known as Gertner, Fräulein Gertner, a surname which is very uh, Germanic, is it not? Also, your Christian name, perhaps. Uh, what is your Christian name? It's Evelyn, sir. Hmm. Yes, well. Someone in this camp has recognised you as an acquaintance from those days. Is my information correct? Colonel, my mother was a teacher... Answer the question, please. Well, you are correct, sir. But who has given you this information, I wonder? I would really like to know. <laughs> Let us just say one of your colleagues, shall we? Now, Miss Gardner... You cannot be ignorant as to why your colleague was concerned, I think. With Britain now at war with Germany, and the danger of enemy spies in everyone's mind, the subject of your nationality and your adopting of the English translation of your name cannot be ignored. What have you to say to that? Colonel Weston, whilst it is true that my father's family originally came from a small village on the German-Polish border, my father's business, and indeed all his early adult life, was conducted in our colonies. My brother and I were born in India, my younger sister in South Africa. We returned to the mother country when we were children and have been brought up and educated as citizens of this great kingdom, which indeed we are, as attested by our passports. As for the slight alteration to our family surname, I believe that our very own King George has been contemplating anglicising the name of the royal family. God bless England and God save the king. Well, Daddy, you know me. I gave the great Colonel a piece of my mind. For him to think that I might be spying for the enemy, that my sympathies would be with the unspeakable Bosch. I had to explain everything, but after it was all over, the Colonel actually patted me on the back and told me that if I had been his daughter, he would have been proud of me. So, Daddy dear, I do hope that you are proud of me. I wish I knew where to post this letter. Please write and tell us where you are nowadays. We miss you. Your loving daughter, Evelyn. Gosh, what a story. I've never heard that before. Good for you, standing up for yourself. Did you ever find out who told them about your background? No, but I think it was one of the sisters on a different ward, mm. whom I never liked and who didn't like me. Mm. I believe our mothers had become acquainted years ago through her teaching work in Hamburg. Anyway, the incident passed and before long there was another reason for everyone to be on edge. Something else was about to happen which would concern us all. The big push. That's what everyone calls it now. The time when so many of our poor boys were slaughtered around the Somme. Mm. And the wounded came to us. Hundreds, if not thousands. 
and so badly damaged. It was quite overwhelming. To be honest, it's all rather a blur in my mind now. It was just one long marathon of nursing. Night and day it went on till we were exhausted. We had to requisition all the tents in order to turn everything into extra wards. Everyone mucked in. All the red tape and people's ranks were brushed aside. I remember one day finding the major in his shirt sleeves cutting bread and butter for the patients. <laughs> but our exertions were nothing compared to the suffering of the casualties. Water. Water. Here, sister. It's all right. I've got a cold drink for you here, Bob. Hold still. I need to check your stump again. It's fine. No sign of hemorrhage there, I'm pleased to say. <coughs> now try and get some sleep. Mother. Mother, I'm dying. I'm dying. Hold my hand. Oh, shh. That better? And now, I'm going to light this cigarette for you. How's that, Corporal? Oh, look at your poor lips. I'll rub some ointment in. That you, sister? My legs. I want some of that stuff for pain. Can you fetch the M.O.? Where are the stretchers? Why aren't the stretcher bearers coming? Where are they, mate? He's just talking in his sleep, sister. He's been at it for hours. To be honest, although a tragic number of men died, often we welcomed it as a relief from their pain and misery. But our heart went out to their poor mothers and wives who would soon be receiving that terrible telegram, died in hospital. And yet, it was something to know that we had eased their last days with all the comforts we could provide. Drinks, cigarettes, the blessed drugs, as far as they could stretch. We even tucked lavender bags under their pillows when the smells from their festering wounds got too bad. Little things like that. But however much we did, what they all longed for more than anything was the blessed trip to Blighty. Line up now, the men for Blighty. That's right. Stretcher cases behind. Tickets, leave papers, everyone. Boarding now. God bless you all. You look rather poorly, Nurse Gardner. Oh, yes, sister, I really don't feel well at all. Maybe we'd better put you down for the next Blighty. Meanwhile, get yourself to bed. It's been hard for us all lately, I know. You others, there are fracture boards to be scrubbed, plenty of fumigations to do, beds to be made up for our next lot. Poor old you, Evelyn. Here, I've brought you hot tea. Oh, dear, you do look peaky. Oh, thank you, Olive. Oh, that's lovely. The M.O. says it's flu. There's a lot of it going round, he says. Oh, I do feel cold and shivery. It was a very nasty dose of flu and turned into an even more dreadful bronchitis. Oh. And my feet were giving me a lot of pain by then. I suppose I'd just been on them so much. So I felt very sorry for myself. <laughs> However, though I didn't know it then, that was the beginning of the end for my nursing career in France. I was prescribed a lengthy period of home convalescence. 
Mother, of course, was delighted. And after that, my contract ended and I was sent to Brighton and the less strenuous job. Dear Mother, the few days since you waved goodbye to me at the door of your dear little cottage feel like some of the longest of my life. Even though I am now in the same country, I feel more homesick than when I was in France. As you know, I am now nursing at the Second Eastern General Hospital here, but I am billeted in a convent, and really, it is not a very friendly place. The nuns are good women, of course, but they are Catholics, and you know how I feel about that faith. Whereas in France, all was rush and bustle and noise, even in our time off. Here, all is quiet and solemn, the only disturbance being the frequent ringing of bells. And after our little tent, which we had made so cosy, I am now in a room which is all white, with one table, a narrow, rather hard bed, and a very large crucifix on the wall for company. And also, Mother, I'm afraid the nun's cooking leaves much to be desired. All in all, I am quite glad to depart for the hospital each morning. Good morning, Nurse Gardener. Now, we've had a large consignment of badly wounded men in last night, so almost everyone is occupied on the surgical wards. However, we are now short-staffed on Albany. That's a convalescent ward. Oh. So, please, make your way over there and tend to those poor souls. Oh, yes, sister, I'll be glad to. Morning, Nurse. How are you today? Oh, cheer up, it may never happen. Good morning. I'm quite cheerful, thanks. Particularly seeing so many of you up and about. Now... I'm here to help you all. What can I do for you? Oh, a nice couple would go down very well. You could send a telegram to the Kaiser, sister, tell him to call the whole thing off. I'd like a bit of help with this letter to me, ma'am, nurse. Uh, right. Let's start with the tea, shall we? I'll just go to the kitchen and order it up. What's that you're playing with, Joe? Those aren't coins, are they? That shrapnel, sister. Come out my leg in France. Doctor at the hospital there took it out and gave it to me afterwards. Seemed a pity to waste it. Each bit's worth sixpence, see? So I'm quids in. <laughs> they were so brave, always joking. But behind all the good humour, there was an underlying fear and sadness. Each day of their recovery brought them one day nearer the dreaded return to the horror and danger of the trenches. I tried to get some of them to talk about it. I thought it might help to bring it out into the open, but... What, sister? Oh, no. Fine. It's just fine out there. Looking forward to getting back. See how all my mates are getting on. Tomorrow, I have a day off and a treat in store. I have made a new friend, Hilda. I met her when we were both walking on the beach. She is also a nurse here, but she has a most interesting job as she is employed in the Royal Pavilion, which has been turned into a hospital for wounded Indian soldiers. She has asked me to tea there, and I can't wait to see all those beautiful rooms. Hilda, hello. How nice to see you again. Well, Evelyn, here we are. And this is a friend of mine, Bob Grayson. Hi. He's from Canada, and he's a pilot, no less. <laughs> Bob, this is Evelyn Gardner, a new friend. We met last week. Delighted to meet you, Evelyn Gardner. Oh. 
Are you a nurse too? Yes, but not in such an interesting place as Hilda, unfortunately. Come along. I'm going to take you both back to tea and show you around. The Royal Pavilion is the most sumptuous place you can think of. <laughs> I'm always imagining it with all the beds removed and those lords and ladies a hundred years ago dancing and enjoying themselves under the fabulous gold chandeliers. It's a bit slippery here, Evelyn, uh, on those stones. Uh, take my arm. <laughs> That's it. Now, tell me all about yourself. Dearest Evie, thank you for your letter. I am writing to tell you I am having such fun down here at the farm. It's nice that we have moved to Uckfield and are closer to you. We have this cottage all to ourselves, myself and two other land girls. The work is hard. Sometimes we have to get up at four o'clock in the morning when it's damp and foggy and cold, and I must say that takes the farthing bun. And when it rains, we are often quite covered in mud. But we manage to enjoy ourselves anyway. We have lots of room here and would love you to come for a weekend. You said you would like me to meet your friend, Bob Grayson. So by all means, darling, bring him too. Only, Evie, do be careful. You have only known him for two months, and it sounds as if you have really fallen for him already. Are you quite sure, dear? Beatrice is quite right. I believe I am falling in love with Bob. But he's such fun, and I am so much enjoying his being here. He seems to be quite smitten with me, too. <laughs> oh, there you are, you two. Welcome to our humble abode. You must be Bob. Ah. I'm so pleased to meet you. Thank you, Beatrice, for your invitation. I've heard so much about Evelyn's little sister. Now you must meet the others. Evie, Bob, meet Sissy and Esme. <laughs> they are really Lady Cecily Waverley and Lady Esme Talbot, and their papas are very important <laughs> men, but they are currently in disguise. <laughs> At the moment, we are all pretending to be country yokels. <laughs> <laughs> We're all trying to do our bit for the war. Esme and I are both engaged to be married, so this is only a temporary arrangement. But, thanks to Beatrice, we're all having so much fun that I don't know how we shall ever settle down to life as married ladies in London. <laughs> Bee, we have had such a lovely time. And your cake was simply delicious. I don't know how you got the ingredients. I suppose living next door to the farm, so much comes free. Your friends seem very nice. But goodness! They are such society girls. Will you be invited to their weddings, do you think? Oh, yes, I have the invitations already. <laughs> now, Evie, do take care, darling. Don't give your heart away until you are quite sure, will you? Don't worry, little sister. Goodbye till next time. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Dearest Mother, I am sorry I have not written sooner, but we have been very busy here with the harvest. And then last weekend, Evelyn came from Brighton and brought her friend Bob Grayson, who is a Canadian airman. He is extremely good-looking, and I think Evelyn is very much in love. In fact, I believe they are about to become engaged. But I don't know, Mummy, that he is quite right for her. There is something about him that I am unsure about. When you write next, please tell Evie to be very careful, won't you, Mother? I am so glad, dear, to hear about your new job. 
Translating German for the Prisoners of War Information Bureau sounds just right for you. And 38 shillings a week sounds like very good pay. I have had a postcard from Tom and Maud in Calcutta. What an exciting life they lead. Telephone call for you, Miss Gardner. Thank you, sister. Hello? Oh, it's you, Hilda. What did you say? He has left. Headquarters in Canada. And without saying goodbye. Oh. Oh. Oh, dear. So, what happened with Bob Grayson? I've never heard about him. Were you... were you terribly upset? <laughs> Let us just say he wasn't quite as free as he had made out to me. Oh. But, my goodness, so much water has flowed under the bridge since that episode, nearly 50 years ago. There were some very miserable months. And then, in the spring of the following year, quite out of the blue, the war was over. I'm so happy. Oh, what a glorious day this is. After so long. Peace at last. Should we go down to the palace and cheer the king and queen? If you can get there with all these people. <laughs> Where are you meeting Olive? Oh, just here at the Lion's Corner House. Well, I'm going to leave you. Sissy and Esme are waiting for me. They have a grandstand view from one of those balconies up there. Oh. <laughs> I think that's if Sissy has been allowed out. She was driving her car down the Strand last night with 15 people in it. And Lord W was furious. <laughs> Bye, Evelyn. Bye-bye. Bye, Beatrice. Now, where's Olive? Olive. Oh, how wonderful to see you again after all this time. <laughs> oh, Evelyn. I thought we'd never find one another in all these crowds. Isn't this a splendid day? Evelyn. May I introduce my cousin, Lionel? Oh. Would you believe it? Lionel was in our own hospital in France, being treated for his wounded arm in the very next ward to ours. Oh, how extraordinary. And to think that we never met, Lionel. I only wish we had. So that's how you and Dad met. <laughs> yes. Extraordinary, isn't it? Fate had kept us apart when we might have met in a field hospital in France. <laughs> and then, by chance, in a huge crush of people in Trafalgar Square, there he was, the man who would rescue me from my restless travels and look after me for over 40 years. The man, in fact, with whom at last I found a real home. Peace and War was written by Barbara Frost. Evelyn was played by Sandra Vaux, Young Evelyn by Beth Eyre, and David by Mark Straker. Mother was played by Elizabeth Ryder, father by Gerard McDermott, sister Bradshaw by Rachel Atkins, Beatrice by Susie Gill, Tom by Richard Reed, Olive by Alana Ross, Richard Rosen by Michael Watson Gray, American Lady by Belinda Lowe, 
and Fred by Sean Matthews. Other parts were played by members of the cast. Studio production was by Daryl Chapman and editing and post-production by Malcolm Thorpe. The executive producer was Marielle Rennais-Quebec and the play was produced and directed by Cherry Cookson. You can listen to more downloads at wirelesstheatre.co.uk.